Welcome to Exit Strategy. I'm Stephanie Gary, and I'm pleased to have on the podcast today, Darren Pitt, Executive Vice President of Plaza Jewish Community Chapel, and he's in charge of funeral operations. Today, he and I are going to talk about what it takes to plan a funeral. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Darren Pitt. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Well, goodness. We have known each other for at least 18 years. Is it almost 19 years at it's this point? Probably 19. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of planning a funeral, or certainly to know what goes into planning a funeral, because dare I say, and correct me if I'm wrong, but everybody in their lifetime is going to have to plan a funeral at some point, right? Correct. What we need to do today is take the mystery out of that process to give people tools so they know what to do and how to do it. Before we get to that, let's just talk a little bit about you because I know you're always the most popular person at a cocktail party, right? <laughs> everybody, everybody wants to know what does a funeral director do? How did you get into this business? Growing up, my father always told me to find a job that technology would never take over, trying to be recession-proof. Mm -hmm. And this was back in 1995 or 94, wow. actually earlier than that. Our neighbor, uh, Eddie Yormas, was a funeral <laughs> director. One day I'm outside and he pulls up and he says, Darren, do you have a black suit? And I said, yes. And he said, go put it on. I'll come with me and uh, you, know, you can give me a hand. <laughs> Turns out somebody passed away in a residence. Yeah. He calmed me down and- Were you nervous? Oh, I was very nervous. <laughs> he had a way just to calm me and explain that, you know, nobody's going to hurt you and, you know, it's the, the living you need to worry about. And I just slowly into my senior year of high school just started working with him and kind of really liking the profession. It was just something that was very different. He had a way to kind of teach me and mentor, and, and now I'm working with him almost going on 20 years. Wow, so beautiful. And you know, when he said to you, it's the living that you need to deal with, that's exactly what you do as a funeral director. You guide the living through the process. You mentioned Eddie Yarmas, who has been with Plaza Jewish Community Chapel since its beginning 21 years ago. You joined, as we said earlier, 18 years ago. You started out as a director and then became assistant manager, became manager, and now you're the executive vice president of funeral operations. So you've really gone up the ladder there, and that's been wonderful for Plaza. It's really just been a, a fantastic journey. How does one become a funeral director? I know there's a perception out there that people just don't understand that to become a funeral director, it's not like you put in a resume and you say, I want to become a funeral director. One has to go through a lot of schooling. So just talk about that for a minute. Certain states will have different requirements. Mm -hmm. New York, you need to obtain either a diploma or a degree in mortuary science, which takes 12 months. It could take 16 months. It could take two years. And then you need to pass a national board examination do a one-year uh, residency that includes a law exam. Okay. And then you can start becoming a fully licensed funeral director. It's about less than two-year process to become a licensed funeral director. This is not a service that one goes into just because. It's really one that 
you need to have a passion for because what you deal with on a daily basis, you directors are my heroes in terms of what you do. As you said, you really do need a passion for it. I mean, some people call it a calling, but passion is something that you just can't teach. When you're able to help a family in sometimes the most difficult times in their life, it is rewarding to know that you've done something along the way. And what we have to share is that no matter where somebody dies or how somebody dies, the family needs to engage the services of a funeral director to make arrangements. Correct. So what a funeral director really does is they turn chaos into calm, where a funeral director is going to oversee, they're going to direct, they're going to coordinate all the aspects of the funeral service. That includes preparation, as you spoke of, where the service will be. They're going to provide caring support. They're going to give you advice to families, friends, and and clergy. And with Judaism, we don't have the time that we wish we had, but we obviously want to honor the deceased by burying within 24 or 48 hours Mm -hmm. when we can. But our main goal is to take a very chaotic moment and just let the family know this is what we do. We're going to call the cemetery for you. We're going to get the doctor to sign a a death certificate. There's a thousand little things that you have to do in order to do it correctly. Those who were not raised in Jewish tradition may not know this, but most funerals take place within a 24 to 48 hour time frame after death. Of course, it's dependent upon what the family wants, but very often those are the hours you're dealing with. So literally, Somebody could die this afternoon, and the funeral could be tomorrow morning. So there's a lot of details. When you talk about making arrangements, what are some of the key things that people have to know when they call a funeral chapel? Because we know very often people call us, they have been through a traumatic time losing a family member or friend. Very often, It can happen instantly. Some people have the luxury of knowing that it's coming. But when someone calls a funeral chapel, what should they know that they're going to be asked? The number one thing is the final disposition. What cemetery are we going to be using? Mm -hmm. That's probably our number one thing. Okay. And what if a family doesn't have a cemetery? The family doesn't have a cemetery, I will usually tell them, you need to find out which cemetery we're going to be using. Make sure that you can select a plot. In New York State, a funeral home cannot sell funeral plots to a family because it's considered a conflict of interest. I see. Yeah, I'll take basic information, but schedule that cemetery. Make sure they can take us on this specific day and time. All of our paperwork will revolve around the final disposition. I think the other thing I tell people is have one person in charge of the funeral arrangements. Sometimes when we're dealing with sometimes up to eight people, it becomes very confusing for us because there's miscommunication along the way. Sure. Sometimes we become a moderator, if you will, within family. It's so important that people think about these things when they don't have to think about them. Because in the moment when somebody dies, emotionally, people are charged up understandably so, they're not able very often to take the time to really think about this is an important service that's being provided. So you and I talk about this, and we really recommend that people do some research when you don't have to. 
we're very happy to say that Plaza was one of the first chapels to post prices on their website. So it's very easy to find out how much a funeral is going to cost. Actually, we have a price comparison because we know how challenging it can be for some families to be able to do the research that they need to do. I think another thing is if the people do have the time, they should make their wishes known. Either do a pre-plan, put it into a, some kind of a will, or designate one person in charge of your disposition, and things should be documented legally. So there's no fighting afterward about uh, what somebody wanted. It's really important to have that conversation. So it's more important, as you said, to have a pre-plan. You want to talk about pre-plan for a moment in terms of what that is exactly and, and how that works? So pre-planning is something that somebody will come in, they'll discuss about their wishes of what they want. They usually bring somebody in with them, whether it be a husband and wife, and they'll kind of explain to us, this is what their wishes are. They want to make sure everything is documented. I still recommend that they put things down where it's still a legal document, but speak to an attorney. Sometimes people don't always respect people's final wishes. They do what they want to do instead of what the what the person wanted. And by the way, I have actually done this with my mom, who is about to turn 97. I know exactly what kind of funeral she wants. It's all planned. It's prepaid. That's a burden off my shoulders. For those of us who even work in this business, when somebody dies, when a heart stops beating of somebody we love, no matter how prepared we are, it's a tough day. It's a challenging day. Yeah. And to know that I don't have to think about her social security number, where she's going to be buried, what kind of casket, all those things is a huge burden off my shoulders. Do I really have to engage the services of a funeral chapel if somebody dies and I know exactly where they're going to be buried? Why do I have to engage the services of a funeral chapel? So within New York State, you need certain paperwork for your final mm -hmm. disposition. Okay. And that's going to be required for a burial, a cremation, and tomb. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. There's certain paperwork that only a funeral director can fill out. The only time that we don't take care of, of something like that is if somebody decides to donate their body to science. Oh, okay. That organization will take care of the final disposition. In New York State, you have to use some type of funeral home because there is paperwork that has to be filed. When someone passes away, a death certificate is, is certified from a physician, and mm -hmm. then we fill that out, and a disposition permit will be issued to us, and then we bring that with us to the, the cemetery or the crematory. I hear you talk about next of kin a lot. Who is the next of kin? The next of kin would usually either be a spouse, it could be a child, it could be a niece or nephew. New York State has a document that we follow as far as the listing of who would be the next of kin in order. The number one person would be called an agent. And an agent is just somebody, it could be your neighbor. They're okay. somebody that is appointed by the person when they are alive, that this person is solely in charge of their disposition. Okay. It does not have to be a spouse. It could be anybody. They are solely in charge of that person's disposition to make sure that if they have five children, there's one person that's in charge 
and this person trumps everyone else over every other individual. Okay. And what I don't think people realize is that all funeral chapels in New York State are under New York State Health Department. Those are the guidelines you follow Mm -hmm. legally. We, as a chapel, have to be in step with guidelines that they put forth. So they're the ones who really oversee funeral chapels in New York State. Correct. Correct. They dictate the laws to us, and Mm -hmm. they seem to change every few years. They seem to change. You have worked in both the for-profit and now a not-for-profit chapel. Can you talk about what the main differences are? When I worked for the for-profit, it was probably one of the most difficult times in my life. I I had lost my father, Mm -hmm. and I was working for a funeral home up in the Bronx that was just sold to a corporation. Mm-hmm. You feel like you, you really answer to shareholders. I find working for Plaza, working for the non-for-profit, it really gives me the flexibility to do more with the families when needed. Interesting. It, it's just a different... A different gestalt, right? <laughs> yes. You're not worried about the bottom line. You're just worried about helping people. Not to say mm-hmm. that we're, you know, we do have an overhead to do run plaza. Right. We just have a lot more flexibility, if you will. And the way we treat people, it's a very different. It's a different feeling, for it's sure. It's a different feeling. And the people that work for us, that have worked for a corporation, know the difference. We answer to a Jewish community. You've had so much experience. Would you say there are major changes going on in the funeral industry? There are so many different changes, like everything else going into 2022. The funeral industry, like any other trade profession, we're in dire need of more people. We're in dire need of more professionals. I think there's going to be certain laws and regulations that are going to be changed to make it easier to take some of the burdens off of us. Off of the directors. Uh Uh-huh. And it's like this anywhere. I think COVID really burned a lot of people out emotionally, physically, where Mm -hmm. death is a very taboo subject. People don't like talking about it. Unless somebody knew us, they really didn't acknowledge what we went through because nobody liked to talk about it. You know, we Mm -hmm. all talk about nurses and doctors because they're saving lives. Mm -hmm. I just want to remind people again of a few of the takeaways from today, which is number one, we want people to have this conversation before they have to have the conversation because we're all going to have to have the conversation at some point. And by doing so, you can really do research on the internet about funeral chapels, cemeteries, locations, and really it's a multi-generational conversation. So we want people to do their research We want people to know that when they call a funeral chapel, there's certain pieces of information they're going to have to give, like the deceased social security number, date of birth, place of birth, education level, all those things, and information for the death certificate. That death certificate is something that's needed for everything that has the deceased name on it, I believe. Is that correct? Correct. That would be everything from... A mortgage to a credit card, you know, so you need a death certificate for that, plus bank accounts and stocks and everything. And we want people to talk about what they see. I know what my funeral is going to look like, my son, 
My husband doesn't need to worry about that. People need to talk about it with the rest of their family while they can. It is a very taboo subject. It's one of the most challenging things for a funeral director is when there's a sudden or tragic loss and and nothing was ever discussed because the families don't know what to do. Exactly. You know, I'm not saying to have, you know, Thanksgiving discussion over uh, pre-planning, but I think it is important to sit down with your loved ones to say, this is what I want. Exactly. Important. Important. And I'm really happy that Plaza, through our mission statement, we really have elevated the importance of -of end-of-life conversation in a lot of ways. And this podcast is simply another example of that to really get the word out there about the importance of this conversation. So Darren Pick, always a pleasure. You make such a difference every day. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me on. As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for tuning in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation about this end-of-life issue. I urge you to visit our show notes, and there's an email listed there. So if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested and subscribe to Exit Strategy wherever you listen to your podcasts. Each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic, and I'm really happy you're along. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is Exit Strategy.